Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the movie podcast about movie movies, because we talk a lot about movies, because they're movie movies, and we like them a lot, because we like them, and they're movie movies. We like to movie movie. We do like to movie movie. Mm-hmm. Here on uh, I Like to Movie Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, we're here to talk about a continuing franchise. Uh, we, uh, what did we, we did Back to the Future 2 recently, I think uh, uh, last month we, we did Back to the Future 2, because uh, we have a couple of franchises that we are huge, huge fans of, uh, that we just sort of decided once we had done... The beginning of those franchises, we would not rest until we had completed them. Absolutely. Uh, so we've got one Back to the Future to go, and now we've knocked one more off of what may be a never-ending list. <laughs> it's not clear yet. Yeah. Uh, of Die Hard movies, we're here I to talk the, about Die Hard Two. The only thing that'll ever stop Die Hard movies from happening is when Bruce Willis actually physically dies. Yes. When he dies, and then Jeremy Renner will pick it up or something. No, at I don't that know. at that point they'll definitely be digitally recreating actors we want to see true. in movies. There's we'll gonna get like, like a CGI Die Hard. I, dude, uh, we it's been like talked about for a while. I feel like in blogs, but Fast Six is it is gonna or seven, seven is gonna be the first step in that. Oh, absolutely. The Fast series is a series that's never gonna first. end. And, uh, an actor died, and it did not stop that series. Oh, uh, never mind. It, you're right in the first of that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the first of taking a dead actor and putting him on. No, the no, Sky no. Captain had Lawrence Olivier, yes. and it yes. was creepy and weird, yeah. and it was to a movie that wasn't even that good. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's you're right. Yeah. Uh, Arnold was in um, uh, Terminator, Terminator Salvation, yeah. even though he wasn't. And right. I, we're not breaking any news. Arnold is still alive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At least at the time of this recording. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, but Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard 2. What, what I think is interesting about Die Hard 2, uh, standardly to me, is that it, it's before Die Hard knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know when you know Die Hard comes on, Ode to Joy plays, Bruce yes. Willis smirks at the camera, we go, oh, look, another year, another Die Hard. Here yeah. we go. And uh, there's a brand to that. Mm-hmm. And Die Hard 2 has the unfortunate circumstance of following up what is a bona fide masterpiece. Yes. And creating a sequel that may or may not be intending to kick off a franchise, mm-hmm. but is certainly trying to pay some bills. Yes. And, and so it, it's a weird spot. Uh, we live in a world where even our mainstream movies now, like you don't take a, a superhero movie by itself. Right. You have to think of it in terms of a franchise. It's different in, what year was this, 1990, I think? I think it was 90, yeah. Yeah, 1990. It's a newish idea. Mm-hmm. It's well, I, yeah. I don't even know if a sequel is necessarily a newish idea, but I know what you mean about like franchising that sequel. I feel like this movie, it feels like it was just trying to like as a sequel give us more of what we liked from the first. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It tried to just be the first one again, mm-hmm. and I, I actually really. So I, I uh, before we even continue, I've never seen this movie before. Yes, uh, yes I've seen I've seen Die Hard, I've seen Die Hard Three with a Vengeance, and I've seen uh, Live Free or Die Hard. 
Uh, I've Live never Die Hard Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never seen the fifth one, uh, and I, I had not seen this one until tonight. Uh, so it was. Uh, uh, I was just saying to Dan, a super enjoyable experience. I've n- I I can't think of another time I've had this much fun watching a movie. Oh yeah, it was super fun to we watch this movie throughout. Oh, we had to rewind so many sequences. The movie, yeah. yeah, because there's just a lot of exposition that people with very strange accents are saying throughout <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Every single actor. Is is chewing the scenery? Oh, they're doing something. There's not very a single. Distinct. Yeah, there's not a single person that that phones it in, and mm. for a script that is essentially, I wouldn't say phoning it in, but you know, is is this marred, script is, is abysmal compared to the first one. It's marred by circumstance. Yeah. It's coming out of uh, out of that spot. I would say, but it's everybody just like oh, yeah. the whole way through. It's, it's so incredible. much machismo. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, but, Even Bonnie Bedelia. Uh, uh, Sh- uh, what's her? I almost said Shirley MacLaine. No, it's Holly MacLaine. Holly Shirley MacLaine's a real person. Indeed. Um, Holly MacLaine. Well, Holly Gennaro, uh, Holly Gennaro. who now well, is going by now. Holly MacLaine. She, she is, is a MacLaine now. And she proves she's a MacLaine in this Absolutely. I mean, and exactly. She she tears the scenery. Oh, yeah. That plane, if, if, if the terrorists didn't bring it down, she might have ripped a hole in the hull, brought it down herself. <laughs> Bonnie Bedelia. I <laughs> love Bonnie saying Bedelia. that name. She has it's a great the name. best name. And, and she's, she's great. Not, she's great. She's really good in this. She's great in the first one, too. Mm. And they give you a little bit of that, like, uh, oh, there's a reason she's married to this man. There's a reason Absolutely. this man is married to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, and this one just, like, very much serves to, like, try and further that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they... But it also is like just like drowning in like being a sequel. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, absolutely. They spend so much time doing like you know now the ongoing joke about Die Hard is like uh, I'm not even supposed to be here today. You yeah. know, like they're just like doing Kevin Smith. Well, lines I love in the it though because that's it's at here it's a pertinent joke. Like the yeah. joke isn't isn't tired yet because there's multiple times throughout the movie like he literally says how can the same thing happen to the same guy two times? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like you don't know the half of it. Yeah, you literally know less than half of what you're about to experience because mm-hmm. there. Are five movies yeah. of just your horrifying luck yeah and and your <laughs> your ability to make weapons out of anything <laughs> yeah and uh that and, i gotta but they say, play that joke and and at that time that was a new thing uh, so maybe yeah, if you know. take it like that that's a very clever joke yeah now it's it's old We've and they made did, a joke i will say joke. they didn't overplay or oversell that joke that's true they, yeah, they only mentioned a couple it of times and that was fine you know mm-hmm. what i mean i appreciated that about it I it I don't know. This movie was like it was so fun and entertaining, but so not good. Mm. There, there's so many. It just, like and not even the. You know, I think the we were talking about one of the big differences in this is like in the first one, it's very much about man versus man. Mm. It's about the 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 big John McClane personality versus the big Hans Gruber personality. Absolutely. And this movie does not have that other personality for him to contend with. Well, there's there's. Let's see. There's William Sadler. There's Dennis Franz, and there's uh, now I can't think of his name. The, the dictator. Yeah, I don't know who pl- who played him. It was the guy from the the westerns. Oh, no, right. I'm not gonna think uh, of it. Uh, N- Nico. Uh, uh, oh God, <laughs> what is his name? N- Nico. Um, we're we're film buffs, guys. Yeah. God, it's Nico something. Um, I think. N- Either way, they, they split the load amongst multiple villains. And yeah. Then there's a couple reveals which but, we'll get into where oh this person's a villain. Yeah. And so there is no big heavy, and so but the villain to this even... is basically what McLean eventually becomes. I think, yeah, is just him is him begrudgingly just pushing against uh, the the system. Yeah, and it started just as uh, you, know, was... you can't kill me. There are rules. That's what my that's what my boss keeps telling me. <laughs> yeah, and now it's just everything's like, no, we do this by the books, and he's like, but I don't do anything by the books. Don't you realize it? That's what was frustrating to me. It's was frustrating. Like, yeah, this movie took an aspect of John McClane that 
I don't care about as much and mm-hmm. amplify that instead of like what I do. Like the MacGyver aspect of John McClane is what is so entertaining about the first movie. It is entertaining that he does like push against the authority, but that's standard, just like rough, tough, bad cop stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we've had that since fucking Clint Eastwood started making cop movies. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's, we, we've had all that. That's fine. That's just like a trope of, of cop movies. Uh, but like his sort of thriftiness, uh, and his ability to just like there's always like these odds set against him and he sort of by brute force and just uh, intellect gets past oh, yeah. them is like what's intellect so- and just like kind of kind of dumb will. Yeah. Like he cannot help himself right. but to oh, do that's this. That's the best yeah. line in this movie is I do what I can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that's was the great. best line in this movie that totally explains the ethos of John it, McClane. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Whatever I can. Whatever I can. Yeah. 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 That's that is John whatever McClane. the limits of physics will we'll allow. allow and then a little bit more than that yeah yeah a little more uh, <laughs> but it, it like he they in this movie they just decided to amplify the sort of like rebel against authority part of him oh, absolutely and totally took away like most of the like thrifty actiony john mcclain that's the you shoot yourself in the foot with with any sequel yeah because in order for something that's movie worthy to happen again you have to make it you have to go bigger yeah and it has to be, but it has to be plausible, which is, you know, impossible to do. So you yeah. shoot yourself in the foot. And this uh, kind of just becomes the generic action movie, whereas the first was the, uh, you know, was the anti-action movie, yeah. really. They did it differently. And so for this to be to be just a generic action movie, it, it, part of that is he becomes a little less relatable. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about is yeah. in the first one, it almost feels real yeah. that this thrifty guy could out, out outdo the odds and, yeah, and do yeah, it. Yeah. In this one, it's just kind of you accept he's going to do it, mm-hmm. and you just want to see how. Yeah, exactly. You know, this movie, like We were talking about how this movie doesn't have that great villain in it, and so instead has this very like intricate, and the first one does as well, but not so much like this, this very intricate plot line for him to go up against. Mm-hmm. There's this very intricate plot at play that he has to sort of... Un- unfurl and unravel, you know, get the details of and figure out how to unravel it and figure out what's really going on uh, and take it down from the inside where, you know, that is less interesting to me than him having like this huge personality to go up against, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something that sort of mirrors his own personality and forces him to like, you know, really push against himself and his own odds. It's mm. a- there's there's a lot less of that in this, and you see it in in even the one liners in this. Like yeah. they're all if it, like they're all fun, yeah. And they all they all have they're an effect, terrible though, but they're contrived, yeah. And it doesn't feel like like when he first does the the yippee ki yeah. in the first movie, he almost surprises himself with yeah. it because he's this meek guy who's afraid to fly on a plane, mm-hmm. and now he's just he's against these terrorists and he's found this weird badass inside of him, yeah. That you know sort of manifested itself as a bad husband, yeah, yeah. and now has a chance to shine as a hero, yeah. And so in this one, there is absolutely none of that. No, no. We just go, oh, it's McLean. Mm. He dispatches villains and succeeds and says mean things to them. Well, in the world sees him that way like it turns out he's become somewhat of a celebrity they reference a I think that's good though don't they reference that a, makes it a little natural it, it roughs the edges of that transition i get that but do they I, now correct me do they reference a time article or do they say it was in people i think they say people people yeah that's a little less ridiculous but they like this guy has had I don't like know, maybe he said time 
I just see that's the thing because I remember being like, "Whoa, yeah, this <laughs> guy has had like like articles seventeen about him, yeah, seventeen yeah. magazine. It's like he's become like he's renowned for what he did at oh, Nakatomi yeah. Plaza, the, the a villain building no one has ever heard of before. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. The villain recognizes him, uh, and so it is like a little bit. It's it's not just hard to relate to him. It's it's a, just a, it sets it in this strange world where he's not like an everyman anymore. You yeah, know? yeah, he's well, and that's the thing. Like that's what sucks about having a sequel is you have to kind of get rid of a little bit of that because it is more implausible. Yeah. But I think having him be a little bit of a cultural celebrity within mm. the world of the movie because of the events of the first movie, yeah. that to me is probably the best possible way to to smooth that. Sure. It's hammy. Yeah. But I really can't think of a better way. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's kind of what I love about this yeah, movie. Yeah. I, I think this is my favorite Die Hard sequel. Yeah. And, and to me, it, it plays almost like a John Carpenter movie a little bit. Sure. Uh, it feels like a uh, like an assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. A little, I mean, with a little more of the bureaucratic struggle that he has. Yeah. But it, it's just kind of, uh, I don't want to say pulpy, but it's just kind of dirty and grimy and... It just is a it, machismo is the word you used yeah, earlier. Yeah. It's just a I'm growling in your face action movie. And, yeah. and it's a and I kept saying it while we were watching. It's, it's def- a Rennie Harlan movie. It is first and a Die Hard movie but way you later. Know, it was interesting. We were the whole time we were talking about, and I agree with you. Like something Rennie Harlan is good at is just like maximizing action mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like every scene the camera is moving in ways and focusing on things and pulling away and pushing in on things that sort of give everything some sort of dramatic weight. And there's always so- something to watch. Uh, but this movie is strangely devoid of action, I think. Like, actual action. A lot of the, like, yeah, quote-unquote action that we were sort of enthralled by was, like, bureaucratic, just, like, going from place to I place. I don't know if it lacked action, because it has action elements, but I think it lacked the tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you know, you're right. It, it yeah. felt like just the machine was working, and yeah. we're, we're just following it. Yeah. Because even when, when it first breaks out... It's like 10 minutes into the movie and there's just gunplay happening. Mm-hmm. And it's just a massive yeah. gunplay scene. And it it's, it is off-putting. Yeah. You know, and, but it gets that action moving. Mm. But the tension is gone. I mean, the first one, when we talked about on, on the Die Hard episode, played like a slasher, just totally. in reverse. And yeah. there's none of that tension. Yeah. There's at no point do I go, oh, man, is John McClane not going to make it? In the first one, it's very real. He could die yeah. and have a tragic hero's ending. He could die hard. And, and it would play. He could die very hard. <laughs> and he comes very close. Yeah. But he gets injured hard and then lives strong. I will say, had he died in this movie, he would have died harder. He would have like oh, died in a plane explosion. It he would've... almost got blown up by 36 grenades. <laughs> yeah. Very slow-acting grenades. <laughs> this whole movie is full of like really hilarious sequences. It was just ramping up and ramping up and yeah. ramping up. But let's... We haven't done this in a while. Let's start at the very beginning. Sure. Let's talk about the movie. Um, I don't know why I wrote the word lethal weapon. Oh, because we were you, you were talking about how you thought this was retrofitted as a lethal weapon movie first, and then right? oh, no, the, third the third one. one the right. third one was was a lethal. Oh, weapon Oh, I know movie why you first. wrote it down because somebody pulled up like a magazine on the plane. And Perfect. it was like a Lethal Weapon advertisement. Absolutely. Which is like so, commentary on what this is. Exactly. And yeah. that's 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 what I was trying to talk about earlier. Like, yeah. Lethal Weapon had started franchising. Right. This was kind of number two. But Die Hard, I would say, is a more... It's just a better movie than Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Which is a great, fuck, a great fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. But they both did the same thing where they just took the elements that worked yeah. and threw them into a hodgepodge of another another mission. Yeah, yeah. And slowly as those elements that work die out because just time erodes those concepts, it's gotten less it has less and less soul. But that's it 
right at the very beginning when they're on the plane. Yes. Someone has. I think a it's magazine. the old woman sitting next to Holly. Yes, she's reading like a pop culture magazine of some sort, but uh, it has on the cover an advertisement or not an advertisement an article about a feature about lethal weapon lethal, and it like it clearly says lethal weapon in yeah. huge letters i think yeah. it's like Le- lethal weapon magazine <laughs> starring mel gibson and friends and so yeah i think uh you know what i said before the uh all right um you were talking about uh just how this as a franchise like how it tries to establish itself in the second movie and exactly. it's and it's making reference to it's it's actually weird that it is making reference to Lethal Weapon. Or I guess at this point it must have already been a franchise, right? This is a it's. I mean, it's it's not a. a let's see. I think they probably had two Lethal Weapons. That's what I mean. It at least already had its own. They sequel. had the sequel. Yeah. And so the idea was there. The spark was because lit. the movie. Yeah, the movie does go on to make reference to the fact that it is a sequel a couple of times. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably just the introduction of the idea of like we know we're doing this again. Look, it's the only reason we're making this movie is because they made another one of these movies. Uh, we just need a little more money. Yeah. To do this, and it's but like think about the meta movement. You know, like oh, that's yeah. meta. This is right. meta. That is all post things like this. Does Die feel Hard like a protege meta. It's a it's sequel. meta before meta, yeah. and that's the reason I love it. Yeah, it, yeah. It tries so hard to justify yeah. its own existence, and it can't. Yeah, because that's an impossible task. Yeah. But, but it, it tries really, really hard. By and the time does a good job, and that to me is a John McClane story in itself. <laughs> By the time you get to the just line of snowmobiles outside the <laughs> yeah. villain church at the end, it's just it's like yeah okay. But you it didn't makes really sense because of course they had the snowmobiles because those snowmobiles were to be operated by the military guys who were all traitors who had the snow gear because <laughs> they knew <laughs> it's brilliant. Now they didn't figure upon one factor, John, John McLean. <laughs> so that element maintains though that yeah. this villain's plan is is a uh, there. But then John McClane shows up, and they yes. have to go to Plan B, Plan C. Yeah. But this, this, their plan seems to have plans A through Z built in in case of John McClane. I, well, I mean, you, as we did point out, he is sort of a celebrity in this world at yeah, this point. Yeah. So it, it, I, I suppose if you were like my buddy and I, <laughs> so they're like, oh, there's John McClane's out there. Yeah. We should put in Plan B through I, Z. My buddy and I always we uh, we wrote this like really long, crazy like Batman arc that we always wanted to write. We okay. wanted to write our own. Batman comic when we structured this whole like 12 issue Batman arc out and the whole thing was basically about how like you know Bruce Wayne always has contingency plans how come nobody has contingency plans for Bruce Wayne or for Batman mm-hmm. like none of the villains ever th- like nobody no villain ever sets up a plan <laughs> with a contingency for Batman Batman yeah I Actually, I should have figured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they never have a plan B for Batman. <laughs> and it would be plan B yeah. for Batman. Plan R for Robin, but I mean, do you really? You never get to R. Yeah, you never get to you R. You never get to R. And Robin. You get to see Catwoman before <laughs> you get to R, Robin. And D, Darkwing Duck. Because <laughs> what if Darkwing Duck shows up? Or Darkman? Or E, Eddie Murphy. He pops in and starts doing some Pluto Nash shit. You don't know. <laughs> Um, I have a note here because there was a line that I loved very early on in the movie. They introduce a very interesting, lonely, and simple character that serves one purpose to make us shocked. And it's the old man who runs the church. Oh, yeah. That should be, uh, that is going to be the satellite from which they shut down all the flights. He so much exists for the purpose of, like, making us hate the villains. Yep. He just, his one line is him like walking into the church and being like, well, I've been here forever. Feel like I've I'm like, down. you wrote it down. I wrote okay, it down. Ahead. And uh, 
Well, because first they show up dressed as like technicians of some sort, yeah. and they're like, "Hey, techno speak, we've got to reroute the encryptors." And yeah. He's like, "Well, I don't know. I was just sitting here, literally eating some chips and drinking a beer, mm-hmm. about to watch some television. My favorite thing because I'm 90." <laughs> Uh, yeah, but come on in and check it out. And then he starts giving them the history of the church because yep. he's 90 and yep. he's lonely. And he's talking about how blah, blah, blah. And he's about to die. And he's and he goes, he goes, a little piece of this church. I'm doing Bruce Willis now. A little piece of this church dies every day. And a piece of me dies with it. And, and then, then the guy the- says, you're right about one thing. And then just shoots him to death yep. like a lot. Yep. <laughs> and he, he falls into pews and squibs go off like oh, crazy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow. Uh-huh. These guys are dicks and they don't give a fuck about anything. Hey, I don't think they work for the techno blah, blah <laughs> company. <laughs> and that poor guy, because if I was him, I'd be dead. Yeah. It would have happened to me. <laughs> and they're evil. I, I that is like one of the because that happens maybe 10 minutes into the movie and it was one of the early signs that like oh this isn't as good as Die Hard mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly You're like okay they that scene was that's a literal just it's a they're yeah. tugging the string mm-hmm. just trying to make it's manipulating you and so then here there's a scene where uh, they tell a lot of exposition through newscasts oh yes because it's a big plot yeah, and so they have to establish that there is uh, this, this dictator, dictator yeah. who has been arrested. He's being extradited mm-hmm. to America mm-hmm. for trial, mm-hmm. and he's just a big—he's uh, a big bad Ch- guy, Chavez-looking motherfucker. Yeah. He looks like the most interesting man in the world. Yeah, I, I don't honestly always try to escape when I'm being uh, extradited to America, but when I do, John McClane fucks it up for me. Hold on, I'm curious about this now. Is it just because like I didn't I I wasn't able to hear those newscasts that well? But I'm realizing this now. Do we actually know what that dictator's crimes were? I um, feel like the only thing they established was that he was a dictator. He was being extradited, and he and he was coming to the United States for trial. Do well, we ever find out what he's on trial for? Because they say this is the first victim, uh, the first prisoner. Of America's war on drugs. Okay, so it's got to have something to do, because then they reference cocaine at some point, too. Exactly. So he's some sort of a drug lord that owned some property. But that's interesting, because if this movie is... uh, 1990. I have the year. It's 1990. If this movie is 1990... Uh, you know that that's about the time it was post the uh, Nancy Reagan mm-hmm. uh, just say no. That's where that came out. This would have been Bush years, wouldn't it? And um, this would have been Bush years, but that was the big movement in the eighties because yeah. Coke was big in the eighties. So in the eighties, uh, you know, whenever the the president's there, the the first lady always has to. You know, she does the charity causes. That's yeah. that's her job. And it's mm-hmm. education and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. She took a hard stance on drugs, right? And it was just say no, right? And so that uh, it's often criticized because that started to breed the culture of fear around drugs. Sure, kind of a response to the experimentation of the 60s into the kind of uh, exploitation of the the late 70s, early 80s, it became kind of a villain. Mm -hmm. And so then it was save the children, do all this. And so that was when the drug war first started as a thing. So that was kind of hot button. Yeah. So for them to bring that up, uh, I don't mean for like they're trying to say anything. Right. But that's the movie just kind of trying to be presently relevant in 1990. That was one of and the things. If you that take was, it like that, you know, like in 1990, that's a pretty interesting way to go. I agree with you, and that was one of the things that was interesting to me about this movie at first, and then it just never does anything about any of this. Is very early on in the movie, it does almost try and establish like two or three sort of like big ideas mm-hmm. that it might want to deal with as a movie, right? 
And one of the things they introduce is that John McClane doesn't like and is kind of afraid of new technology. And his wife, Holly, is into new technology, calls him from the air phone. Uh, airphone. And they make a big deal about that air phone. And John makes a big deal about not liking the idea of that air phone. Uh, and then eventually has to send a fax. And we get a great cameo from Reginald Vell Johnson, who needs to receive that fax. Mm. Uh, and comments on, like, John McClane using a fax machine? <laughs> the damnedest thing I ever heard. That's my that's my Reginald Vell Johnson. <laughs> that's a pretty good Reginald Vell Johnson. If I close my eyes, I'd be like, oh, shit, big guy. <laughs> But even even at the beginning, uh, he when his pager goes off, yeah. he almost is like, "What the fuck is that? Yeah. Oh, it's my pager that I have because I'm a fucking police officer, yeah. and it's 1990, and we have pagers. Yeah, I'll call him back." And so they make this sort of big deal in the first like 15 minutes of the movie about like new technology and like what it can do for us. And I kind of thought this movie was going to like in some way by the end be like, "Hey, new technology helped John McClane really." do the thing and get it done they do that early on with the facts thing but it never really touches back on that again you know mm -hmm. and they do the same thing with the drug thing they bring up this idea of the war on drugs and i love that line actually of the first victim of the war on drugs first prisoner the first prisoner i'm first sorry prisoner, the war yeah. on drugs because that's like that's fascinating especially now you know what i mean like where where the war on drugs is technically a thing that still exists oh it still exists it's and been it's, 30 and it's, years it's ending in one way and it's strengthening yeah, in another way exactly it's, it's just changing it's, and it's becoming more apparent that it doesn't doesn't exist in different mm. ways like well, ways, i think it'll always exist yeah it's just a thing now yeah it's always there it's uh it, it's it's fascinating it's really really interesting and so it's like it, that line to me was like wow this really has some like uh, a sort of value as like a, a relic of a time. Mm. You know what I mean? But then again, it never touches on it again. It just that establishes is, him as that a dictator. Is just to serve that like, hey, he's bad. You know? And Franco Nero is the, Franco the guy's Nero. name. Yeah, it took what me did a while. I say his name was Nico? Nico. I combined was them together. You got him together. Nico Frano. <laughs> uh, Franco Nero, that guy. Yeah. And um and he's actually he's, great. Uh, he's he's really good in it. I yeah. mean, he doesn't have to do much. He, he just has to look like himself. Here's my thing: he should have just been the villain. They oh, went yeah. too many layers deep with the levels of villains. He should have. I don't know how you would structure the movie around this, but he should have been the villain because he the whole time did to me have almost the gravitas of a Hans Gruber. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I, oh, it's because he seems boilerplate to me he yeah. he just looks like that but i mean he does a good performance it's that's what i mean and, i feel uh, like what like they don't give him enough to do that he's hans Gruber. they should have given him all, more to do at all they don't give him enough to do to make him the that one at all. part the, but the just the his performance yeah when he's in the plane yes. and he's like you know like uh let me go uh, what, what am i gonna do up here and the guard yeah. who's watching him while he's cuffed is like no i'm under orders he says, well then at least light my cigar yes and so you're expecting him to choke him out with yep. his handcuffs or something and then just cuts uh, away after he lights you know, an cigar. hour and a half later, they r resolve he gets what could have been a resolution of, of that yeah. scene. And honestly, if they just played that scene at the beginning yeah. as it was, it would have worked. Yeah. And it, so it seemed like a split, but uh, I guess it was supposed to take place later. And we just assume know. he built his I trust think that over was just time. Bad editing, yeah. It, yeah, it was just a, a poor thing where they're like, yeah. oh shit, we got to get that in there. Yeah. And, uh, and um, but so the, the plan is, the plan as it were, is to. When, oh, this so guy wants, when this guy wants to land, uh, they're the going to take control of his yeah. plane, move him to a new plane, and fly to paradise and literally have a vacation, mm -hmm. a hard-earned vacation. Mm -hmm. And so he has an American colonel, I believe, who is That's on correct. the ground. Yep. And uh, he Some is... Some sort of like special military, too. Yeah, like special ops kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And he has a team of store-bought henchmen 
yes. that have no oh, that character include, on, by the way, to the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, oh, that was a huge complaint of mine. Yeah. The villains have no... I mean, in the first movie, this was a big thing we talked about, is every fucking character has a story in that movie, mm. including the henchmen. The henchmen all, even in their small ways, are established as specific characters. Mm. Uh, this movie is none of that at all, but... Uh, we get the benefit of a, a few years and some actors starting their careers, and we, get, we although there are not established characters for any of them, the T one thousand plays one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Johnny Legs is one of them. John Johnny, Leguizamo. John Legu- yeah, that's that's something that uh, that we should officially coin right here and right now. Oh, you know what? I I meant to say to you before. I don't even think I coined that. I've definitely heard that somewhere else before. I've never heard it. Johnny Legs. Johnny Legs. I think I've heard people say Johnny. Johnny Legs, Legs and Joey Pants. Yeah, Johnny Legs and Joey Pants. And Johnny Legs is bigger than Joey Pants. No, I, Joey Pants has got to be bigger because how are you going to fit those legs in those pants? If they're not? <laughs> Fair enough. I can't compete. So, But uh, there's really everybody in it. Dennis Franz is in it. There's a great yeah. scene. A great scene where Dennis Franz is the, uh, he's like the head of security at the yeah. airport. And so he's, he, he's basically and a rent-a-cop. Yeah, he's a rent-a-cop, but he's in charge of all the rent-a-cops. Yeah. He's, uh, it's Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve weekend. Everyone's coming in. Everyone's going out. So he's got bigger things to deal with. I got to keep this airport operational and get back up to Canada and have some maple syrup. Yeah, he, he, he was supposed to be he's like so a New Canadian. Yorker in D.C. But he, well, actually, at the same time, Baltimore accents sound a little okay. bit Canadian. All right. But at the same time, I know Dennis Friends a New Yorker because NYPD Blue. Yeah, yeah. And that show is his real life. So I, I have a feeling Dennis Friends is from fucking Canada, and he, br- he just <laughs> learned a good New York accent by the time he was on that show. Don't say I don't know a Canadian accent that well. Yeah. Bruce Willis said he would come in the airport and he would start shooting guns, but I said. <laughs> I have no idea what you're doing right I'm now. I'm trying to do a Canadian <laughs> accent. It's great. But I, I can't do it. But either way, there's a scene where the two of them just spout cliche uh, action man one-liners uh-huh. back and forth. Now, meanwhile, Bruce Willis at this point has stumbled across a conspiracy within the airport. He doesn't <laughs> know what it is, nope. but he did kill a man. <laughs> um, he killed two guys. Mm-hmm. One by putting him into the steampunk uh, luggage sorting machine that yeah. they have at the airport that is operated by nobody. Yeah, yeah, well, it's steampunk. It's made out of steam and metal because and it's a diehard and movie. And just pure Japanimation style hope. Yeah, it's it's it was the weirdest thing. It is just steam and sparks, mm-hmm. but they use it. They use it to yeah, yeah. to pretty good effect. There's also glass back there for people to strategically fall through during gun battles. Absolutely, you need panels of glass around yeah. your luggage for uh, planes. And so, <laughs> he, uh, but he, after he's killed these guys, he's trying to tell the head of the airport. And the one thing that that he won't say is like, you know, <laughs> I fucking killed these guys. And the and uh, Dennis France says something where he's like, "Are you gonna get another body on your hand?" He's like, "Oh, another one that that you fucking kill." Yeah. And he just kind of blows it off like, hey, "You know, I just murdered a guy." Yeah. And it's crazy that this is the John McClane that a I year agree. and a half ago was like crying. Uh-huh. It's it's weird, but the scene with the two of them going back and forth, I could watch five hours stacked of that and never be bored. It, it was that's some truly incredible stuff. This movie is full of like. There's a ton of dialogue in this movie. There's like a lot of dialogue in this movie. And it's mostly because they decided like, hey, you know what the most important thing about John McClane is? The thing that makes him the most John McClane, he has to have the last word. Yep. <laughs> so there's just like tons of scenes where like they just repeat the same information over and over again in a circle of dudes trying to be have bigger dicks than each other. The whole movie yeah. is that. Until John McClane has the biggest dick at the end of the conversation and it ends. 
and, and and sometimes and I feel like there was a lot of those lines were eighty yard. Yeah. Oh, totally. There was a couple where it would be John McClane like rolling because if we we discovered if you oh, roll, yeah. bulletproof. Uh, you're bulletproof as long as you're rolling in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. You're a bullet and explosion proof. Mm-hmm. And he uses that to great effect. Yeah. And uh, but he'll be rolling, and then they'll just have like some some stupid like Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that? We didn't it's, need that. There's always going to be diehard movies because even after he finally dies, he's going to roll over in his grave and rise out of it and Pop make more right diehard movies. And who's back? It's a new one. It's Sister Gruber. <laughs> and she's pissed. And she hates zombies because zombies ate her something. I, sincerely, if they make another diehard movie and John McTiernan does direct it, I, I really do hope they somehow find a way to bring a Gruber back. Oh, it would be amazing. Like, somehow incorporate a Gruber into it. If they could get... Because it's Alan so Rickman insane in the third one, Gruber. which we'll talk about eventually. But it's so insane that they they just very loosely, afterthoughtly make him a Gruber. Oh yeah, and he's he's such a he's such a sequel Gruber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, but I mean, he a does Gruber. a good job. Jeremy Irons does he's such a Gruber in that movie. He's a Gruber. Yeah. He's a oh whatever, Gruber. Gruber. He's a boob. And uh. It, I, I, we'll talk about that yeah, movie when we we'll, watch that movie. We'll get to that. But yeah. see, so yeah, there is a, a, a strong lack of a villain. Yes. Uh, I know what I was going to say. I think yes. they should have Alan Rickman play like, you know, I'm Hans Gruber's twin brother. Yes, that would be amazing. Uh, Franz Gruber. <laughs> like, then, oh shit. You know? uh, I would love that. And when you kill a twin, the other one feels it. <laughs> Do you know what it is to feel death, McLean? You're always surrounded by it, but you never seem to feel it. Why won't you die? That's a movie. Oh, yeah. I, I sincerely hope now that you've brought that up, the sixth one is about Hans Gruber's twin brother, Franz Gruber, absorbing <laughs> his brother's soul upon his death like and becoming an actual supervillain to fight the now superhuman John McClane. Who is superhuman? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally I want to see these two men. I want to see them literally, like, one of them pick up the Space Needle and then one of them pick up uh, what's another big, sharp building. Uh, the the uh, Eiffel, Tower Eiffel Tower and fucking have a duel like a uh, what do you what do you uh, a sword uh, fight uh, a joust a li- joust. Well, they did joust in this movie. They jousted oh, right. on snowmobiles with machine guns. But there's a commentary there because the whole time you're watching, it, you're going, "How the hell did they not fucking hit each other?" They're shooting at one another with yeah. fully automatic machine guns at a distance of three and a half feet right. on on these ridiculous snowmobiles. And then you find out later that because of the ruse that the general was trying to, uh, the, the leader of the special ops was trying to play, they were using fake bullets. Mm-hmm. So they do another commentary on on sequelitis and action yes. movies. And I think in that it's a little bit ahead of its time. That's a hilarious scene, by the way, when John McClane, in deciding to reveal to everyone that the bullets inside of the special ops forces guns are fake, he just aims one of those guns at <laughs> the chief rent-a-cop and empties a clip in his face. And every and cop in the room points a gun at him, and none of them kill him immediately. No, I don't think anybody even points a gun at him. And it's because he's white. I'm almost positive no one points a gun at him. There well, are when he puts it down, a couple guys put their guns okay. away. I didn't actually see them. I, yeah. I zoned out, but when they, I saw them putting them away. And they're all like, phew. Yeah. It's it's weird, unreal. It's but at the same time, like that's incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. But the, I, I want to get back real quick to the to the scene that I could watch for two hours <laughs> because there was two great things. First, we should mention that Dennis Franz's character's name is Carmine Lorenzo, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. His brother's name is Vito Lorenzo. Oh yeah, his brother Vito Lorenzo, who towed McLean's car at the beginning, which pays off in a half baked joke for no oh, yeah. reason later. No, none at all. And. uh 
but uh, they're arguing back and forth, and and uh, Carmine Lorenzo ha- has had it up to here. And I'm holding my hand up to my forehead, as I say, up to mm-hmm. here, so you can get a picture of that. He's had it up to there, and maybe even more. I don't know. I'm not capable of that type of anger. And right in the middle of it, his secretary walks in with files, as if to say, like, hey, boss, uh, just wanted to... And he immediately just, without breaking any cadence, just, not now! And then goes right back into his rant as she sheepishly just... <laughs> it's, it's so it's funny. It's horrifying, and it's great. But the scene, the scene closes with the best one-liner because it's like a one-and-a-half-liner, so it's already clumsy. And it doesn't make any sense. One-and-a-half-liner? It's a one-and-a-half-liner. <laughs> when I say it, you'll know what I mean because it, it doesn't pay off. Wouldn't and, that be better it, than a one-liner, though? And it's, it's, so it's, it's like, like a half It's like a 75% so like a, liner. Yeah, you're right. It's like a half-liner? I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> and he... Uh, he says, uh, I don't know what would set off the metal detectors in your airport first. The lead in your ass or the shit in your brains. That Which makes no, the makes cadence kills no it. sense. Like you laugh and then you go, why did I laugh at that? That yeah. was very what stupid. What the fuck <laughs> is he talking about? And He's an idiot. <laughs> He's a, yeah. I watched this man tear <laughs> a terrorist organization apart from the inside with nothing more than two bullets yeah. and a like a and few a shards of glass in his feet and he fucking he, what are you talking about what do you mean yeah he's an idiot he's a complete idiot and he just i mean yeah an idiot would point a, a machine gun filled with blanks at a guy and, oh. and unload on him we were talking about this the whole movie oh this was something i was trying to bring up earlier we were talking about this the whole movie this is what i was talking about him being famous he's like famous now in this world all of a sudden for doing this thing at nakatomi plaza so through the whole movie characters are coming up to him being like hey I heard about the Nakatomi Plaza thing. I know it's nothing like this at all. But what kind of advice you got in this situation? Yeah. What do you know? You're yeah. experienced yeah. in things that are not similar to this, except that there's a villain. Yeah. And even here, we're not sure. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's four villains. Hey, what would you do in this situation you've never experienced before, same as me, who has more training about these kind of things? You almost expect them to, to be like, you know, McLean, I saw that Die Hard movie. Yeah. And I think you got the goods. Yeah. You want to give us some advice? And he's like, no, I want to shoot guns at people. And then he just <laughs> runs off into the distance and solves yeah. it. And, but, uh, okay, let's talk about that. There's one scene where, um, oh, let's introduce that character, uh, Leslie. Oh, Leslie. Leslie yeah. uh, he's like his his buddy. He's kind of like his buddy. Is really yeah. the only. He's not really a sidekick. He's the, he's the he's kind of the. You pointed out he's he's like a little bit the Reginald Val Johnson. Yeah, movie. absolutely. Like a little bit. He's like the guy kind of on the inside of what he needs to be on the inside. He's of a in professional. Order to get a couple things done. He's an absolute professional. Yeah. He's just a nerd professional, and he's just a. Uh, He's adorable, <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, like he is a character that has a you know he he has agency as they say he has yes. he has a, a a pretty complete character arc in mm-hmm. terms that it doesn't really peak or anything, yeah. but he he's a piece of the puzzle that absolutely works, and the guy is such a silly looking guy, and he sound I mean he li- I, I'm I'm not kidding I'm positive one hundred percent of his dialogue in this movie. Is eighty yard, it is which weird. means it was recorded after the fact. Uh, and I'm now, after having seen the entire movie and realizing all of it was eighty yard, convinced because the ADR is not good. Even no, no, the ADR no. is like kind of hard to understand. ADR is kind of like newish then too. As a, it's more about this guy's voice and his cadence of speaking. Oh, yeah. It's hard to understand. He sounds like he's chewing marbles while he's talking all the time. His lips smack into one another. As and he talks. I'm now convinced that. 
basically that's what they got when they shot it. They were like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. fuck. This is so Call not understandable. Let's get him back in the studio. Give him some time. He's like Give Bane. him some water with a little bit of lemon <laughs> in it. Make sure we really clear up his throat. Get him to do some exercises beforehand. We'll get a real clear, best we can get vocal track for his character. And then we got what we have in the movie, which is still like total garbage. Like you cannot oh, yeah, understand yeah. this guy at all. He showed up like, "All right, guys, I'll even quote my lines. I'm waiting to work." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whoa. I didn't, I didn't know what half of you said was. What? But he still is. He, I think he's a really good character. Oh, I he's think great. He works for it. I mean, in terms of, and you said this while we were watching the movie. John McClane always seems to find the one guy who will believe him, the impressionable guy that yeah, wants yeah. to like get in on this. You yeah, know, yeah. like he, he like almost wants to be John McClane. To, yeah, yeah. He's like a like a like a single serving sidekick. He'll yeah. pick up, yeah. and this guy gets on it, and like right off the bat, it's shot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care. They're wrapping his arm. And he's like, "I'm good he to go. You just right gotta away. get me out to the satellite, and I'll reroute the encryptors." Yeah, he, oh yeah. And he delivers tech speak like a. It's mumbly, but it's yep. it's with confidence and aplomb. Oh, he's got. I mean, he. Okay, here's the thing. Like this movie, it, it's so much attempts. Like the thing that I did really enjoy about this movie is it does. It struggles to do so, but it it tries very hard to be a diehard sequel. Mm. Like we were talking about that before, where it's like it doesn't really know how to be a franchise yet. But it does try very hard to be a sequel to the movie that came before it. It tries very hard to repeat certain things that were good about it. And one of those things is to give the minor character story arcs. Mm. And it does not do that very well at all. But he especially does have sort of his own little arc where like, he starts as just like the guy that everyone else is like, Hey, you little man, go do this thing. Hey, oh, you yeah. little man, go do this thing for me. Hey, you guy, go just go get this done. And then like suddenly when they're against all odds, he's like... Hey, I know how to do a bunch of weird techno babble mumbo jumbo yeah. that nobody knows how to do, and I'm gonna get you some little mumbo jumbo techno sciencey science. And if you get me over to the left side of the airport, then I can science it up with the mumbo jumbo. It'd be funny if, like, at the end of one scene, he was like, "You know, guys, I have a time machine back in my place. I'm yeah. working on it in my garage. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there." Oh, totally. <laughs> and it would have been like, oh, you know, he probably does. That's how he knows where the church is at the end. <laughs> yeah, he uses... What did he I've use? I've been building a time machine in the yeah. basement of this uh, small establishment at the end of the first runway we ever built. Isn't that what was revealed at the end? That the church was somehow like the end of a long runway? It was... Um, well, no, I mean, just the church was where they were able to... to figure out the satellites right right right. but i feel like it was it was in close proximity to the airport and by the end they reveal somehow that it's like it's actually like part of the airport's history this this church there oh i don't know i can't remember a little piece died when that guy got shot (laughs) yeah he was lost so we don't know yeah but they do keep snowmobiles parked out back out back because if john mcclain shows up we got to escape by snowmobile. Snow- you don't want to be in a situation where John McClane shows up and you need a snowmobile and you don't have six. It's it's so it, the funniest part about it is they are it, there's literally like a dozen of these snowmobiles and they are lined up in a perfect line outside the back of this like oh, yeah, church yeah. that they've made their base. There's an action an action packed shot where they pull the they each the, peel out the, one at a time. Oh, they peel out one at a time. Well, yeah. I mean that's a tactical thing so that you're not all yeah. wedged into a thing. But they when they pull off the tarps that they're oh, protecting yes. with, it's like whoosh, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it. It's all action it's packed so and weird. Funny. I just we were talking about like imagining the scene where they're negotiating the plan for what they're like how oh, they're yeah. gonna execute this plan, and they're like, okay, okay, fine. So it's like this is part. Uh, F four lowercase C. Uh, this is the addendum where we've decided to spend the extra thirty thousand we discovered we'd have on a dozen snowmobiles 
that will be strategically placed outside of the church uh, to get us to the plane we'll take off from. That's right. Uh, I'm, I know this is confusing at this point. If we look at it here on the chalkboard, we are going to land a plane, take a truck from that plane to a small church, get on 12 snowmobiles, and take them back to the runway we just came from to get on another plane. Yeah, that's kind of weird that they would even have them there. Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't figure... Well, they did figure out McLean. Hey, that's why that plan exists. They were down... To, yeah, that, that's why we built 27A-B-B. He's famous now. We they have a that. McLean plan. Yeah, yeah. We call that one the McLean. They did a... um. Uh, oh, wait. I just looked at it. Oh, yeah. They, there was one line from Robert Patrick... Uh, better known as T one thousand, indeed, and it was a uh, it, it was an interesting and very quick payoff on a here's a gadget, then we use it, yeah, which is a John McClane staple mm-hmm. now. They introduce a gadget and then later he uses it to his benefit, and so for some reason going back to a uh, the the painting area where the painters yes. were painting at the mm-hmm. airport, mm-hmm. one of them, uh, most of them being henchmen, they mm-hmm. send the SWAT team back there, and the SWAT team chooses to approach. In a confined moving walkway, which is weird to have that back there, and weird that a SWAT team would want to approach yeah. single file to. They do all die anything. at the end of it without hitting. They don't anyone bring at out all. the SWAT team. Yeah, they're they're completely dead. But there's a great line. Uh, he says something like, "Oh, I need ID." And he was like, eh, "I don't have it," and he was like, oh, "What do I look like?" And then Robert Patrick, aka T1000, goes a sitting duck <laughs> and shoots him, and then dives behind the safety of his janitor's cart. <laughs> yep. And is able to uh, hide from all of the bullets. Well, except for those fired by John McClane. Yes, of course. Those are the only penetrating bullets that exist in this scheme. I wonder if we went back and watched it, if maybe they had blue clips in their guns. Yeah, that's true. The scene. blue clips are blanks. Yeah, You can point them right at a security guard and shoot them, and, mm-hmm. it, w- and it would just be a silly fun time. That wouldn't make time. any sense, though, actually, in the context of that scene. No, it was just the military guys, yeah. because they were uh, trying to look legit. Yes. Um Oh, I gotta keep getting my note out. Oh yeah, and uh, that was a uh, one thing you don't see ever in movies now that they did here. The only time you ever see good dummy work in a movie oh, yeah. is as a joke now. Uh-huh. And when Robert Patrick dies, it's because brute strength, uh, uh, totally. Bruce Willis McLean pushes just the painter's scaffolding, scaffolding over on him, over. Yeah. and he's scream. Uh, he's on top shooting a machine gun mm-hmm. down at McLean. Who, despite not being in a role, is still <laughs> yeah. somehow not getting hit by bullets. But bullet you know, proof. it's there'd be no movie if he wasn't bulletproof. So you just gotta kind of go with those little falsities. And uh, as he does that, he pushes it over, and uh, Robert Patrick T one thousand falls down, and the scaffolding crushes him. And it's a ridiculous dummy that just gets yeah. fucking rocked. Oh, it's that awesome. dummy was so funny. It's a great dummy. Yeah. And and dummy work, like I said, is always a joke. Mm-hmm. You will never see it, and in a way, it's effective. I, mm-hmm. I think it could still work. Yeah, if if done right, I think we have the, if we have the capability of making a realistic CGI dummy, I think we have the capability of making a realistic actual dummy. Yeah, there could be some magic there. Throwing it out mm-hmm. there, filmmakers. I'm not gonna do it. You do it. A CGI dummy. No, like a re- like CGI dummies exist. Yeah, that's how stunts are done now. I mean, like a real dummy, just a good dummy. Oh yeah. Like, why don't we have the technology to just build that's a true. very awesome dummy that looks so fucking cool when you rock it in movies? That's a good fucking point. 
you know there there is a you can build like a robot that like they have like pretty good robots now you know what i mean if you did like like good makeup effects on a good robot you could actually build like a dummy you could really just fucking smash with something you know what i mean rock yeah well even just not even a robot just a a good built dummy that looks that has the composition of a body We've seen this a couple of times. Think about an action movie where, like, a superpowered character just stops in front of a moving vehicle, and the vehicle like slams into them, right, and oh, smashes yeah, yeah. and flips over top of them. Oh yeah, yeah. So imagine just building a good, solid robot that legitimately looks like the actor that's playing that superhuman and driving a fucking truck into it. So you can actually shoot a fucking truck driving into a fucking superhuman. And like smashing into little bits and flipping over head over heels. Do you think that would work? That would look incredible. I don't know. That would look. I, actually, I saw a MythBusters where they tried to do the car flip. Sure. And, and it was based on Hellboy when he punches the top of the hood. Yeah. And it flips over him, and they couldn't get it to flip no matter yeah. what. But uh, it wouldn't have to flip because it would look fucking impressive as hell. Well, I mean, you could even you. Uh, okay, so say that's true, right? You can't actually get it to flip. I really want to see that. Like you could even wire the car so that you still smash it into a thing, and yeah, then yeah, like yeah. with wires flip it over oh, yeah, top. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you could make it look like all those things are actually. You could actually make all of those things happen. Mm. Now, maybe I don't know. I just want to see, like, we have these horror movies now where these superhuman killers rip people apart, zombies, and all that yeah. stuff. I want to see awesome dummy work where yeah. someone just gets fucking thrown, like. Uh, like they came close with the CGI dummy, and it's actually the one credit I give to uh, the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk. Okay. Uh, there's a scene where Hulk throws Tim Roth against a tree. Okay. And yeah, just yeah. fucking like, oh, it's br- it's brutal. Yeah. It, there's no way to watch it without like, ooh. I would love to see that with just a really realistically made physical human dummy. Yeah. That would look so fucking effective. That would put it over the top where I'd feel ill watching it. Well, uh, that's what I want, people. I want to feel sick when I watch movies. One of my favorite little tidbits about that movie, just since you brought it up really quick, is some practical effects knowledge. Mm. The scene where Tim Roth is like, he gets the serum injected in, and he starts running really fast across yeah, yeah. Like a park. Uh, they just put wires on him and had him actually run, but then pulled him slightly faster than he was able oh, to actually nice. run himself. So that they could physically shoot him going from like his normal run to a suddenly, like, physically noticeably faster speed. That's it crazy. really cool. Yeah, yeah. It I, looks, you know, and I know that exact great. scene. It, it looks, looks fantastic. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's a good practical effect. That's a really good practical effect. Yeah. Actually, there was a... I, I saw... There was a show back in the day on Discovery Channel called Movie Magic. Mm-hmm. And they did, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was about at the heyday of, of Die Hard 2 times that this was... Sure, this yeah, was like out. early 90s, I right? remember watching one about Demolition Man. They did the shot where Wesley Snipes goes out the building. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, and uh, just everything. Actually, I, I'd be willing to bet if you watched that, I wonder if the Mythbusters guys ever showed up on that because that was their career before yeah, Mythbusters. Yeah, you're right, yeah. But there was... Uh, they did... Uh, what's that... What dreams may come, mm-hmm. and there's a scene where Robin Williams is running through a field at a ridiculous pace, but it's a wide shot. Yeah, and so they just had a rig that had like a long, uh, like roll out the red carpet style carpet on yeah. it that they just dragged, mm-hmm. and he just ran down that carpet. Whoa! And so it, you know, moved twice as yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, that's a pretty cool practical. It effect is cool. Yeah, for an awful movie. Yeah, I, I like that movie enough. I mean, well, I, I don't, did. I, I did saw see it when I was, I was like a 15. Teenager. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to. That's always my my yeah. footnote. 
I saw it as a teenager. I don't, maybe it's not good. I, re- I remember enjoying it. And that's the thing. I saw it as a teenager, so maybe it's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> thinking it was like quite beautiful. Not necessarily I was that it was good, but that it was looked. like it looked great. You know, It needed more good dummy work, is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And so, let's see. Oh, yeah, my, my note here is rolling makes you bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and of course. And then uh, there's a scene where, uh, and they explain it with tech speak, and it makes sense well enough, and I don't understand it. I'm not going to try to explain it, but William Sadler, the mm-hmm. the uh, evil colonel on the ground. Super evil. He's the one that has essentially hacked into the mainframe of the uh, air, uh, air command tower mm-hmm. and uh, traffic control tower. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Air traffic control. Air traffic control tower. <laughs> and... Uh, He's hacked into that, and he's able to talk to them, but they're not able to talk back. Right. But John McClane has a walkie-talkie that is able to talk back. So we get something that was established in uh, the first Die Hard and will be in every Die Hard from here on out. Yeah. Is John McClane on the the phone with the bad guy. Yeah. And uh, either on the phone over whatever. Actually, that's one thing that I absolutely love about uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah. There's a scene where... uh, the wife of the bad guy beats the shit out of McLean and throws him out of the top of a building. Mm-hmm. So he falls, lands in a dumpster, so he's fine. He's mm-hmm. like 55. Yeah. He's fine. So then he steals a car, grabs the car, drives all the way up the inside oh, of right. the building, and then runs over the woman, crashing her into the wall on the inside of an empty elevator shaft, mm-hmm. and then crashes the car all the way down to the floor with her under it. Mm-hmm. Then he calls the villain, <laughs> and the guy makes reference to his wife, and he goes, Oh, that bitch who likes to kick people in the face? Yeah, last time I saw her, she was at the bottom of an elevator shaft with an SUV up her ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and at that point, he knows that the bad guy has his daughter hostage. It's madness. I know. And so this was, this was uh, the first time they tried to replicate uh, the on the phone with the bad guy that was perfection with Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. And with this is k- kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, there was so much we talked we talked about this before. There was so much tension to him on the walkie-talkie with Hans Gruber. Oh yeah, there was so much tension. They were to that. both calculated. Yeah, and, and these two characters felt like they were just both following no the cat script. And mouse in this movie. Yeah, that's really what sets Die Hard apart. Maybe now mm. that I'm thinking about, it. there's no cat and mouse in this. It's movie. the tension. Yeah, and and they tried to do something with it, like at the beginning. Uh, the colonel and him literally right. bump into one another, right. and they both kind of recognize. They're like, one "Hey, another. I've seen you on TV. Why do I know who you are?" Yeah, and then they let it go, and so then the hatred kind of mm. builds up. But there's really no reason for no. It. it. It doesn't. Uh, I mean, there's a reason for it, but it doesn't feel at all organic. It just kind of is because it is. And in the first one, the cat and mouse isn't about hatred. The cat and mouse is about each one of them trying to outsmart the other one. Yeah, they've only heard each other over the radio. In fact, that maybe is a problem with Die Hard too, which is that they do. Oh, yeah, each other right away, right away and recognize each other and so then they very quickly know who each other is when the radio stuff starts mm-hmm. in the first one all the tension is wrung out of they've never seen each other so they just have these voices to play off of they bring so much tension out of it you get to the point where they do finally physically meet and the villain starts doing an American accent to try and further fool him into mm-hmm. thinking he's not the same guy oh, and it's such a great scene it's great that's true and it and it it's building, and you're wondering, and then yeah. he gives him a gun, and you're yeah. like, what the fuck's going to happen? But then John McClane's smart smarter enough. than that. Yeah. No bullets! Yeah, no, no bullets! Oh, well, okay, let's talk about that. One thing, and you had pointed this out, maybe I'll let you say it, uh, the laugh and the, the punchline. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> they, uh, you know, it's the sequel to Die Hard. So it's like, it's got to be the same, but it's different. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the famous thing in Die Hard is, <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, I'm saying a clever line. <laughs> hey, I got a punchline here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now, I, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the sequel to Die Hard. So now it's, <laughs> I got something clever to say. <laughs> hey, here's a punchline. <laughs> I sound like Carpin. No, you sound like Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Buscemi. Buscemi? Buscemi. 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 I don't know why I sang it like Pokemon, but <laughs> so it goes. It's gotta catch them all. Buscemi. It's, uh, the, yeah, they, uh, all the giggles come before the punchlines in yeah. this movie. It, it's, it's a weird cue. Yep. Uh, whereas when he would say stuff feeling frustrated in the first one where he's like you know go out to the coast have a laugh you know and then make himself laugh make himself laugh and then just kind of you know press on in this one he's like oh what, what does he say he's about to dive into another tube and he's like you know come out to uh this place and do that it's a rehash of yeah. the same line yeah. he's like and now you gotta crawl into a fucking tin can and yep. he leaps into the thing happily because yep. it's what he wants to do. But it starts do. with... <laughs> yeah, the get, laugh comes get, first. Wait, 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 I get this tin can? And we all go, here it comes. Yep. Oh, yeah, and let's talk about... This is kind of funny. The guy who's the... Uh, I was said president. The guy who runs the Air Traffic Control Command is uh, Fred Thompson, who is a, a senator, I believe, is the position he holds. Fred Thompson. Sure. He's a prominent political uh, player. He's also in Die Hard 2, mm-hmm. which is affectionately referred to as Die Harder. And he, uh, he, he plays the, the chief air traffic controller, I guess? Yeah. He's the guy who... And he's like... He's like... Uh, wait, what's his name? Mr. Tr- uh, Truman? No, it's True, true, true something. I don't know. Either way... Uh, everybody looks up to him. We know yeah. that he's in charge of yeah. everything. He who controls the plane traffic controls the yeah. airport. Even Dennis Franz, yes. Carmine fucking Lorenzo, <laughs> answers to this guy. I'm going to find his name. <laughs> his name is <laughs> Thompson Trudeau. Thompson Trudeau. Thompson That's Trudeau. What I that's amazing. Oh, and uh, so uh, let's talk about... Uh, they did try to bring one thing back from the first that I'm glad they brought back, and it was uh, William Atherton. I was uh, <laughs> I, I was waiting to talk about this. William Atherton is is quite possibly the best thing about Die Hard 2. He's the best thing about every movie he's in. Yeah. He is amazing at playing like a sniveling shit. He's slimy. Ah, oh, he's so good at it. Sniveling shit's the word, yeah. And, and they do the best thing with his character in this, which is like in the first movie, he does start, you know, the, 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 I, we, we talked about this when we did the first movie. Everybody's got their own story arc, their own plot line. His is, I'm the lonely, I'm the lowly reporter. Everyone looks down on me. I just need that one big fucking story mm. and I'm in. And so he goes against his own like moral ideas of ethics to get that story and endangers John McClane's children and enrages Holly Gennaro, now McClane. And so we have this idea of like this guy is just, oh, he fucking sucks. Even though he's like, he was just, he was the little guy that had a chance to be big and he just, he made a mistake trying to be oh, big, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so but this, he's a bastard about it. But he's a bastard like, about If you it. play that character, if if someone else played it, it wouldn't be slimy. Right. Uh, any like if, if someone else played it with a different intention, it right. could actually have been like a, a ne'er-do-well, happy-go-lucky right. you know, character that you root oh, for. Oh, no, he's a slime ball. And instead, he's a slime ball, and Atherton of Ghostbusters fame is the king of the late 80s, early 90s slime ball. He's great at it. And so this movie, just when it starts, the whole the, the joke of it is... 
Holly's on a plane and she's flying and oh, she's going to see John and Hooray. And then suddenly this bumbling, sniveling shit gets shoved into the, the uh, what is that called, economy class or whatever, mm. by two stewardesses who's like, I have never, I demand to be set up front in the, the first class seats. I'm William Atherton, don't I sound well, like he him? He has a reason for it, though. Right. Uh, uh, what was it? It's because he has a restraining order oh, yes, on yes. Bonnie Bedelia, who well, through sheer happens, happenstance. Yet. No, I think he does. I think that's what he's rebelling against. I don't think so. I, I think he's like he's like, No, 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 I bought I'm pretty sure it's like, No, 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 I bought a first class ticket. I okay. belong up front. And they're like, We told you, sir, it's a little overbooked. You gotta sit back here. But then it turns out it's not even really that because no, if you look he says, around I can't sit he, I can't sit in the Right, he seat. does eventually get there. Well, there's no reason for him to be Worried about that seat if it's not where he's supposed to be sitting. No, no, no. It's not where he's supposed to be sitting. That's his point. He bought a first class ticket. He's supposed oh, to be in okay, first class. Okay. He bought a first class ticket. And now his and seat's the, next And they're to like, her, we yeah. told you, sir, it's overbooked. You have to sit back here. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't you know who I am? I demand to sit in my oh, seat yeah. in first class. And they're like, no, sir. And then it turns out that like, if you look around, the plane's not that full. It's probably not overbooked. They both start insulting him because he's done a bunch of news pieces about how uh, stewardesses are just shitheads. Oh, bimbos of the sky yeah. was, was the article he wrote, I and believe. The, and so uh. they're really just trying to insult him. And then suddenly Holly speaks up and he realizes she's Oh, and she's they totally there. like and mouth him down to nothing. It's beautiful. He tries to use that as an excuse to go sit in his seat. That's what it is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That's, so it's more of sniveling shit. And the way they reveal it, too, is uh, he's like, no, I can't sit here. Why? And then, then badass Bonnie Bedelia, yep. she's like, it's because exactly. he has a restraining order on me. me you're locked in here with me yeah exactly and you know she she totally just owns him further mm-hmm. but uh this this causes a, a subplot here where yes. he's now in this section and as these planes are being held in a holding pattern above the airport mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of told like oh you know there's a delay mm-hmm. uh he looks out the window and for some reason the only window he can look at is the one that is by bonnie bedelia yes yeah, so but yeah I, that, and the whole time that was frustrating me that plane but is I, virtually but i'm empty. happy that that it's that yeah. it's the way it is because we get such great interaction between him her and the little old lady next to her mm-hmm. And he, he proves he's a good reporter. Yeah. He gets what's going on. He has his buddy who's happily in uh, coach. Mm-hmm. Or no, I, I think the buddy's in the other section. The buddy's in first class. Mm-hmm. But, and he goes, he's got machines that, uh, that he hacks into the airport uh, frequencies with, <laughs> with, with his hacking buttons. And he presses the hacking buttons and he gets the story of what's really going on. So mm-hmm. he actually cracks the story. But then his fault is. When he has this legit piece, he turns it into a uh, emotion emotional piece about himself. Yeah. And the delivery of that is him in the mirror as he's reporting live from inside the the plane bathroom. Yeah. So dignified. And it's him just looking in the mirror and admiring himself as the speech gets more and more that like so risking funny. my life for you because it's it's what I do, you know. And he he almost literally is like I am a hero and but and He's what convinced I love, he's getting the Pulitzer. As he calls it the Pulitzer. Yeah. What I love about his story in this is like in the first movie, it's the story of at first like maybe a lowly hero that mm. then like goes against maybe his own morals and ethics to become this slime ball to get like a little bit of fame. And so this movie starts with him as the famous slime ball. And like it's okay to just shit on him immediately. Oh yeah, you know there's nothing. There's he he literally him. enters this his first scene just screaming and being uh, corralled by stewardesses. 
Exactly. He's just he's a shithead immediately. But then, like, as the story goes on and unfolds, and suddenly, like, Holly's interested in, like, what's going on right now? And mm. he's a reporter, so he's like, I'm interested, too. What is happening? And then he's, like, looking out the windows, and he's like, yeah, I do see some weird activity out there. This is This is bizarre. And so suddenly you're like, oh... Maybe he is this reporter we thought he was all along from the first movie. You know what I mean? This like mm. guy that really cares about a story and wants to find out what's going on and save himself and, and this plane. Uh, and then he even he goes so far as to get a radio and actually tap into what the hell is actually going on, right? Which is a big, actually cool moment. Mm. It's like a triumphant kind of heroic moment. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah to yeah. actually get the people in the air to know what's happening to them. Why is all this happening? I think he's actually purposefully designed to look a little bit like Robert Redford in, um, yeah, yeah. in uh, what's it called? Uh, all the President's Men. All the pres- yeah. President's Men. Just because that's the typical, yep. like, getting the scoop yeah, exactly. kind of look, you know? And he, and he has that, but never once, what I think would have sold it and and wouldn't have played to the character uh, if he actually showed some real fear in the situation. Right, right. But he never does no. because he sees any fear that he's feeling as a chance for glory for himself. That's the beauty of He'll it. He'll never I love. break that search for his own glory over the over the story. That's what I love. It's the reverse journey of the first movie, right? It's mm-hmm. it starts with him as this bad guy, and suddenly you're like, oh well, maybe he actually does care about this, and is gonna oh, and now he's tapped into the radio and really getting the information they need. And then it just becomes the same arc. It, like, it just immediately goes back to like what his arc is and always will be. Oh, yeah. He yeah. is this slime bucket and is going to use that information to cause panic. And You know what I mean? It's, uh, I love that about it. I thought that was really funny. And again, it was like, man, this movie did try really hard to like give some characters their due in the way the first movie does. Mm. Uh, but it just it doesn't succeed. They didn't uh, build on yeah, it in any way. No. They just redid it. Yeah. But at the same time, like uh, right after part two, we lost uh, Reginald Vell Johnson. Mm-hmm. Didn't show up. Bonnie Bedelia. Yep. Badass bitch, Bonnie Bedelia. William Atherton. I love her. Gone. William Atherton, gone. Yep. And so... And and I love part three, I do but uh, there is a shift in in the way they try to tell the story, which yes. is good. Yep. It keeps it, it pretty fresh. It becomes fresh, John you know? McClane's story as opposed to the universe of John McClane's exactly. story. Exactly. And and what's weird is because they try to go for the universe with yeah. uh, with uh, Simon Gruber. Simon right. says... Yeah. yeah, that is interesting, actually. You're right. Yeah. But it does feel more like John McClane's story because yeah. he's hung over. He's had a, his right. wife's left him. Yeah. And, and Bonnie Bedelia's not even in there. That movie ends with him just wanting to call his wife, and we yeah. wonder if he does. Yeah. Ugh. And then four, he fights the computers. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, ugh. but it, see that's the that's the one thing that makes me hate two in a way though. Yeah, is that and, and two I still stand by is probably my favorite of the sequels mm-hmm. because it means so well and it really 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 tries hard. Yeah, it fails in all the ways that every sequel after it fails. Yeah, yeah. And although they do different things and have different successes, I think that it's it means so well. Mm-hmm. But it's uh. It's the reason why five exists. If not for two, yeah, we wouldn't have three. We wouldn't right, have four, right. but we wouldn't have five. And really, at the end of the day, all we needed was one. Yeah. So totally. I, I do have a little bit of an anger towards totally. two because it opened Pandora's box. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But I also want to thank it for that because I love I know, Die Hard I know, 3 I know, and I, I love Die Hard John 4. John McClane is just a fun character. He's yeah. just a, I mean, this movie, was, that's what I mean. It's like I have so many complaints about this movie, but I had so much fun watching it. Mm-hmm. It was so fun and silly and weird. And it was, just, it was I liked it. I, I really enjoyed watching it. Let's talk about the big 
action sequences. Oh, yeah. Because the I, action doesn't come in until the third act, and it's kicked off with the snowmobile chase. Yes, yeah. So the snowmobile chase, as we've prefaced, uh, leaves from the antenna church and goes inexplicably back to the runway where mm-hmm. they're now going to steal another plane, which I guess was set up for them as per their demands. Yeah, they never really illustrate how they got they that done. Did. At the same time, I don't really care. Sure. And so they get back, and of course, John McClane is able to incapacitate right. uh, one and get his snowmobile. And John McClane, wouldn't you know it, great at snowmobiling. Of course. Played a lot of Jet Moto growing up. He's mm-hmm. ready to go. And so he uh, kicks ass. They have a snowmobile mm-hmm. duel, mm-hmm. which is essentially, when you think about jousting, it's once again just a big dick contest mm-hmm. in a damn near literal sense. And... Uh, so then they duel on that. They find out the guns are fake. Ha ha. So now we have the villains out on the runway. John McClane in the news helicopter of a good reporter, the antithesis of uh, William Atherton, who goes so far as to cover her lens when it's objectionable to her own ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets him into a helicopter, and his idea is to get in front of the plane <laughs> so that it doesn't take off, which is pure John McClane magic. Yep. And so the pilot says... I'm crazy, but I'm but not, I'm not that, that fucking crazy. crazy or something. There's a lot of just There's weird inserted motherfucks. Fucks. Yeah. yeah, it's like weird. Like it's not that motherfuck crazy. Like yeah. he didn't say that, but that yeah. wouldn't have been out of place. So John McClane says, "All right, you got to drop me on the wing." Uh, this sequence was incredible. I, ha- I have to say, like incredible. Oh wait I, a minute, we skipped a sequence before the wing. Well, we skipped him. We skipped the grenades inside the cockpit that launch him out of the. Well, the ejection scene yeah. launches out. We can come back to that. Let's talk about the plane thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought this this was like such an incredible. I I want to see more action like this on the big screen. Mm-hmm. This was legitimately an amazing action sequence, full of like kind of bad practical effects, but also really good, great practical effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's literally a helicopter flying over the wing of a huge plane to drop John McClane on it and then have a series of fist fights with a series of villains on the wing of that plane mm. while it attempts to take off from a runway. Totally incredible. So fun. Everything was shot practically. Like, you could tell it was really a helicopter flying next to a moving plane. Which, and it's weird that the bad guys were like, we need the biggest plane possible. Oh, yeah. Which, the answer to that is because it's eventually going to explode and movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or also, like, we're dealing a lot of cocaine and also doing some of it on the side. So when we want a plane, we want it to be huge. Yeah, big plane, big yeah. dick. Put our dick in the sky. That was in it. That I loved that sequence. That's that, an incredible It's an incredible scene. sequence. And it's it's done. Uh, it's done. I think that there was a, a weird shift from action after this point because we started with the dawn of like Jackie Chan and stuff. Mm-hmm. We love technique, and yes. it's all those tight shots of karate technique and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And with that was a new type of thrill. Mm-hmm. You know, we spun off into Crouching Tiger, where we made it artistic. The Matrix, where we made it you know pretty mainstream, mm-hmm. and that we love that technique. And so. With that, we lost just the brute force reality yeah. fight. Yeah. And so there's a response to it now where we get things like the raid, which are the perfect mix of the technicality mm-hmm. and the brutalism. Mm-hmm. But then we also get things like the expendables, which are like yeah. way over the top hand f- ham-fisted brutalism. Yeah. So it's wild just to watch that trend kind of flow. Mm-hmm. But here it, it makes me uh, uh, you know, just hanker back for that. Yeah. 
uh, I missed that. And honestly, the things like the raid fulfill that void for me. But yeah, me too. But it, I, it's I so mean, earnest. I was thinking about this in the other sequence that we should talk about. We can talk about it now. When they do, it's an insane sequence. It doesn't make any sense, and it's totally nuts. When the villains throw, I would say, 36 hand grenades yeah. into the cockpit. Give or take 100 or two. Yeah, uh, into the cockpit of a plane that John McClane is in. Uh, and McLean sits on a, a seat that uh, of a plane that probably doesn't have an ejector seat, but in this movie it does, uh, and pulls the ejector button at the exact moment all of those grenades go off and flies straight into the air in this ejector seat and then parachutes safely to the ground because he's indestructible, John McLean. Uh, really great, awesome plane explosion, by the way. Both of them in this movie are oh, like, yeah. really cool looking. They exploded a plane to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's, it's like we said before. They didn't make it look like it happened. They just made it happen and put a camera at it. Yep. Uh. It's they're both very incredible. And uh he and the thing that I was thinking the whole time during the sequence when he just fucking ejector seats out and flies up in the air, it's so silly. It's so over the top. It's so patently stupid and ridiculous. But the whole time I was like, I buy it. Yeah, it this, works. This could happen. Good thing he did that. Yeah, this could happen. Else he would have died. Yeah. He said Hard. good work. If that ever happens to me. I know what I'm gonna do yeah. now. That's that's it's, the thought I had. They they this movie did walk a careful line where it's Absolutely. still because the first movie does a great job of everything is very practical. Everything feels very like the hose gag is really the closest thing to like superhuman stuff right. that he does. And it's that's so and it, but it works. You just buy that on like luck and uh, his skill and did it. You know it you buy that. From could everything else. work. Yeah, this movie like strayed much further from that, but. Worked very hard to, in straying further from that, try and keep it like this is all still practical enough, mm. you know, because they lose that uh, further into the series. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, there is a lot of cool practical stuff that they do with uh, like portions of set pieces. Yeah. Like they're in a Live Free or Die Hard. There's this incredible sequence where the jet fighter and they're fighting mm. under the overlapping highways mm. while he's in a big rig. Mm. And there's a lot of scenes where he's on the wing and there's action happening yeah. and it's it's real. But you know that the the environment is digitized. Sure, there's not yeah. a whole plane there. Yeah. It's just the piece. So it's all pieced together. Whereas this was two stuntmen on a plane doing yep. a fight that they choreographed, which ends with one of them getting sucked through an engine and becoming a bloody splatter on yeah. the side of the plane, which is fucking great. Mm -hmm. Love that shit. Yeah. It, th I, I did really just enjoy this movie overall. It was super enjoyable. Uh, I it I don't know. I think I still like the third one better than this, and probably mm. the fourth one actually. I uh, do like the fourth one a lot. Yeah, uh, <sighs> but I did. This was definitely way more enjoyable of a movie than I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I had not heard good things about Die Hard two. It was a. Uh, I, I think I forgive it because I have a uh, a special place in my heart. Sim simply because it, that place in time. I barely remembered. I was a mere child in the yeah. early 90s, but just from whatever I saw on TV and stuff, from what I can understand, this movie came, and from what I've learned about Die Hard over time, this came from a weird, strange, new place. A place that's so comfortable now that we crank out franchises like mm -hmm. Clockwork. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of seminal in that way, yeah. I, I think. You know, and as well as Lethal Weapon 2, which I, be I believe came before it. And uh, I, I respect that. I think it's cool. Yeah. I'll take it.
Oh, I had a thought about this, and it totally it left me. Why don't we find uh, some some maybe not so hot reviews of uh, of Die Hard Two? I want to check my notes here. Although, does that even matter? Uh, yeah, I think that's all I have for the we notes. Considering we weren't crazy hot on it. Uh, let's see what we have here. I did, what was I thinking about this? Let's take a guess before oh, I look oh, it up. This is what I wanted to say real quick. Uh, the other thing is, despite the fact that he's supposedly like a huge dick and a horrible person in real life, uh, and despite the fact that he is given a lot of bullshit to do in this movie, like a lot of stuff that is not good, not well written, not should not be good or work, Bruce Willis fucking sells this movie and Absolutely. everything he does in this movie. He knows what McLean is. He sells this stuff. Like, even when it's horrible and it's clear that it's bad, and I know he's not an idiot, you know what I mean? Like, he mm. sells it hard. Oh, absolutely. And it's like, it, it, that, actually, that's what, this, that's what this franchise should be called, is like, sell hard! <laughs> sell, sell hard. Yeah. Sell harder. Yeah, yeah. Cut harder. Yeah. With a vengeance. Yeah. Live free or sell that fucking thing hard. Yeah. It's a good day to sell hard. <laughs> I can't even remember the title of that because I don't want to say it. Yeah. So let's take a guess. I have it on the screen right now. Uh, oh, is this Rotten Tomatoes rating? This is Rotten Tomatoes rating for Die Hard 2. Here's the thing. I should know this. Didn't we do this as a rank check? We did check? do this. We did this as a and rank I, check. I'm closing my eyes and I'm picturing 62, so I'm going to lock that in. Uh, I'm going lower. I have a memory of like 13425, so I'm going like 45. Well, I remember four came in second place. I remember that being the big shocker. Whoa, that's right. So you're saying 45? 45. It, oh, screen locked. Drum roll. 66. Wow. What did you go. guess? 62. 62, yeah. 62. 66. But then again, we have to think this also has the same uh, lenses that I'm wearing when I look at it. Totally. Where I'm looking back fondly at yeah, this movie. Yeah, a, a decade or more of, uh, of, of retrospect on it, I guess. I had a uh, conversation with a coworker today. Because uh, actually, I had two interesting conversations. One, because one of them questioned my assertion that John Lennon has my least favorite solo career post Beatles. Oh, really? And um, I, I really like a lot of Ringo's stuff. And I don't think John Lennon's bad, but uh, I just think a lot of it is simple. Whereas I, I've heard a lot of great work from the other guys. I, I'm not. I'm not saying anything new by saying this, but I did always think that like McCartney was the true like musical. Genius. See, I, I attribute that to George Harrison. Uh, I, I think McCartney, like, when he writes a pop song, like, he really knows how to oh, write a pop song. He knows how. He's the he, pop guy, yeah. Yeah, he knows how to write a pop song. And I mean musical genius, like, truly, like, knows, like, exactly what melodies and harmonies are going to just be, like, mm. pitch perfect. Whereas Lennon was, like, the songwriter. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Lennon overall I writes think Harrison these, like, was much the more interesting. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, and I no, play the drums. We're not saying anything, yeah, we're not saying anything new that new. at all. Uh, but that when I think about Lennon's career, I I do have I I like it a lot. I, I do I, too, and yeah. that's the thing. I, I don't I don't really knock it at all. I love post John Lennon, yeah. but uh, I love post Beatles Ringo a little bit more. It's real. Fair enough. I I don't know. Here, Some of my to be favorite, really fair, I don't know that I've ever heard post Beatles Ringo. Okay, it's and to be fair, a lot of it is written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, <laughs> and um, but it's uh, it's funny because this is so far from the point I was yeah. going to make with this, but uh. No, I, I uh, the some some of my favorite songs on the White Album are the Ringo songs. Okay, don't, yeah, like, don't pass me by. Yeah, I yeah. love Don't Pass Me By, yeah. and it it just has a charm that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Similar, very similar to Die Hard too. It has a charm that I enjoy. Uh -huh. But I had a conversation with a, another coworker today about. Uh, I I said that I thought Terminator was the best of the Terminators. Uh, yes, I and I knew there was something you agreed on. Yeah, and uh, we we couldn't square on it. We couldn't, and we talked about it. I mean. It, 
he's a, he's a great guy to talk to. We yeah. and uh, we couldn't. I, I couldn't see it. I it's because I here's the thing I get and it. I love to I, I get I it love that's the thing I get it. I love to and two does a brilliant thing that like I don't think people tell we should movie movie both of these movies oh we so should I don't have to do, do this whole thing right now those need but Ryan Shaner but uh, yeah specific requests yes. uh but Terminator two does a brilliant thing that mi- that almost makes it a notch above the original Terminator thing which is the original Terminator and this is why I like it so much is a fucking horror movie mm-hmm. less than it is a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. it's a horror movie about a killing machine that comes back from the future to murder a woman to make sure a baby isn't born it's fucking it's crazy fucking that's the most metal shit I've ever heard it's metal it's as shit it's so metal it's so fucking it's, metal it's fucked up it's crazy and he shoots it that way it's all like natural lighting it's gritty oh, yeah. it feels hard and dirty and and just vile and 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 oh it's it's great the second one then takes that character that makes all of that work that way that makes that all feel so dramatic and and horrible and makes him the hero yeah that that's more that's, of a response to schwarzenegger's sudden celebrity absolutely. than it is to any narrative choice that's fine but as a narrative choice it's kind of brilliant and makes that movie like really interesting. Oh and yeah, kind of a crazy movie. Uh, uh, and it and it works. Well, because he's scary at first before yeah. you know he's a good guy. And there's a reason that works so well. You know, what come I mean? with me if you want to live. But it. it but you it, tried to kill my mom. Yeah, that's why it works as a sequel so well because it's so different. From yeah, the first, you know what I mean. That's like such a twist. That is that, how you do a sequel. That's such a twist that's of the narrative. That's how you do a it's sequel. A huge yeah, huge twist on the narrative, uh, which is why it's so good. But it's not. It's not the first. The first movie is a is just a brilliant. It's a gem. crazy idea for a movie that is so well executed. Absolutely, but we got in that conversation. And it's I found it was very similar to most Die Hard conversations. I'm really glad Die Hard Two gave me a reason to have that conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Have you? Uh, I, I think I'm ex- I'm spent on Die Hard Two. Have you? Yeah, have you too. seen anything that you could recommend and uh, say, hey, check this shit out? What have I watched recently? Have I been to the theater? Oh, I have been to the theater. I went to the theater with you, in fact, to see Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Oh, right on. And David Lynch's Dune. Uh, and I slept through portions of both, more significantly in Dune. Uh, so I can't say I recommend that movie, except for the fact that when I was awake, I was seeing things I had never seen in a movie before. Beautiful. I'll give you that. In beautiful 35 millimeter. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, the Search for Spock. Uh not a well-respected Star Trek movie. Pretty fun. Pretty good, I gotta say. It spawned me the next day I watched uh, Star Trek Four. Yeah, the time-traveling uh, the voy- The Voyage Home, and that's as far as I've seen in the Star Trek uh, series. The original franchise, um, yeah. Yeah, in the original franchise, so I've never seen any like the Generation stuff. Right. And um, four is easily, easily my favorite Star it's Trek. It's so weird and fun. It's so, but it's it's got a great story. Yeah, and it's just so fucking good. Yeah. Um, but if I were to pick a movie that, you know, I may have talked about this movie in the past, but I'm going to bring it up because it's on Netflix right now, mm-hmm. and everyone should check it out. It's called Blue Ruin. Oh, that's and on I, Netflix. I may now? or may not have uh, recommended it before, as yeah. my, but uh, I'll second I it. I want to see that. Blue Ruin is a really interesting revenge movie. Yeah. It's small. It's you know, it, it has indie sensibilities, but it's just it's not without humor, but it's very over the top. And, or it's very and, bleak. Uh, it's yeah, bleak is the word. I, I said over the top. It is over the top in in the way that it's raw, but it's it's just really fucking good. And yeah. the, the lead character is a very interesting character. Mm. It's 
it goes where you expect it to, but not so much in the way you expect it mm-hmm. to. It's it's cool. Yeah, I uh, want to see Blue that. Blue Ruin. Then, I know, uh, and I would like to see this. Maybe, hopefully, we'll, we'll see. Uh, next time we sit down, I can talk about some Blue Ruin. I would like to see that. I'm glad it's on Netflix. I also know that Your Next is on Netflix, <sighs> and I have not seen that and would like to. Watch that yeah. shit. It's, oh, man. Yeah. Your Next is like the, I watched it the other day when, it, like, the day it came out on Netflix because yeah. I, and it's it, really it held good. up on repeat. It it got better on repeat because yeah. like once you know what's going on, because yeah. there's some twists and turns, nothing yeah. too out of the ordinary. But once you know what's going on, and and uh, I hope it catches on in terms of of like a cult following, mm-hmm. just because there's so many kills and things that are revved up. Yeah, that you're just waiting for it, but you want it because it's yeah. the big funhouse. And you, oh, it's I could see a crowd that knows the movie, yeah. all hanging out together in a theater and enjoying having that experience. You know, already knowing mm-hmm, the experience, mm-hmm. it's it's cool. Cool, it's I fucking like cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we do we find a negative review of uh, of of uh, Die Hard Two here, and then we'll we'll wrap up on that. Uh, you know what I'll do is while you look that up, I'll advertise a little movie movie live. Uh, we are coming back to Philomoca on Thursday, September eighteenth, eight p.m. Always oh, just five dollars. Five dollars. It's a huge production. We have some really fun. Weird games this month. Uh, we're doing sports movies this month. Uh, Dan and I wrote the show uh, a couple nights ago, and it, it's got some really fun, weird stuff in it that we haven't done before. That's going to be, I think, a really good time. Uh, we have an awesome panel this month. Uh, we've got Nikki Black. We've got N.A. Poe. We've got Michael S. Watkins. Uh, it's $5. Philomoca, 12th and Spring Garden. Uh, you're not going to be able to find it by looking at it. It doesn't really say Philomoca anywhere, so just go to 12th and Spring Garden and look for a sign that says Movie Movie Live. We'll be there. Uh, we got cheap drinks that uh, you should buy because that's fun. Uh, makes the show more fun. Uh, we might try and use Twitter uh, during the show to have some more fun than we normally do. It's I'm fucking excited about it. It's going to be great. Boom. So uh, what's interesting is the just the, the first couple blurbs on, on Die Hard 2. Yeah. Uh, if your idea of a good time is watching a lot of stupid, unpleasant people insult and brutalize one another, this is right up your alley. That's pretty accurate. That's pretty spot say. on. Yeah. Uh, though the follow-up is bigger... It's not really better. The surprise is missing. Uh huh. And so, you know, we definitely hit on that. Uh, and then I thought this was the, uh, where is it? Uh, the disappointing follow up to Die Hard has more action and bigger action, but considerably less suspense. Yeah. So th- yeah. Th- these are all pretty accurate. Yep. Um, but then when you read the positive ones, yeah, they I also was going to say, read me sense. a positive one. Uh, an accessible and satisfying a sequel as one might have hoped. <laughs> That's totally just like, you know, we medium, have to see him do it again. Well. Yeah, it happened one, again. <laughs> I saw the shit out of it. Is uh, that a real review? <laughs> no, no, that's a that's a Mister Show reference. Uh, how can the same thing happen to a same to the same guy twice? That's Asks a, a bewildered and ultra ironic John McClane. <laughs> well, make a film as successful as Die Hard, and you'll soon find out. I guess that was a positive review. Mm-hmm. This this is the best positive review I've ever read. Oh my god, because it's not a review. Ready? <clears throat> John McClane spreads vigilante Christmas cheer. <laughs> that's the review. That's Great. just that's probably the easiest description. Great. Uh, this is this is the review that I will go with, and I think it says everything that that I think about it. Well, this sequel may not rise to the heights of the classic first. It is still a damn fine flick with lots to love. Mm-hmm. I can get into that. Yeah, that, I, I think that describes my feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> Roger Ebert said, this is terrific entertainment. <laughs> I think that's, that's about right. That's fun. 
Uh, all right, let's wrap this one up with uh, some Twitter plugs and whatnot, and then uh, do a little catchphrase and get the fuck out of here. After some Die Hard 2, we'll do more of these. We'll do some more Die Hard. You can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. It's with an F. Uh, you can find me. Where else can you find me? I guess you can find the podcast. Find it uh, at Facebook.com slash I Like Two Movie. That's with the number two. Uh, same thing on Twitter. I Like Two Movie with the number two. Uh, and uh, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, I actually haven't looked at those uh, ever. So maybe I'll do that sometime. We'll talk about them. Cool. Right on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Scully. You can log on to supercrappyfuntime.com. That's kind of a hub for a lot of things. You can actually find a link to Movie Movie there. Um, it connects a lot of stuff. But... Uh, then uh, also check out regretfulmorning.com. Check out some articles about some stupid shit. And uh, yeah, just once again, uh, September 18th, Movie Movie Live at Philomoka. Only $5, and uh, we'll give out some free tickets and shit too. So keep an eye on the Facebook, which you should be following anyway. Yeah, this month is going to be a blast. We're excited about it. Uh, so oh, yes, it's all sports movies. Sports movies is going to be uh, super fun. Uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we we, we like, like to, to movie. movie.